Welcome to the Love Fly podcast. My name is Paul Tizard, fear of flying coach for 25 years and creator of Overcome Your Fear of Flying in 30 Days. And today's special guest is Emma Henderson. Welcome, Emma. How are you doing? It's great to see you. And you, so Emma's here, uh, and I'm really chuffed because Emma's got lots of things that we can talk about today. So she's been captain at EasyJet. You've also set up Wingman, which whilst you were off on furlough uh, from last year, which is probably incorrect the way I've just addressed that, but you can correct me. No, that's absolutely correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and also you've got an MBE to recognise how much awesome work you've been doing and <laughs> And also, 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 you've even worked on the EasyJet Fear of Flying course. So I have. Uh, you are like, you've got so much to offer. So we're, <laughs> just give us a kind of a, a, a potted history of you, your flying career. Well, my first flight was for my 18th birthday. I then couldn't afford flying lessons. So I actually then had two years flying on the University Air Squadron, but actually went for aptitude tests at Cranwell, but decided not to join the Air Force because I'd already met the man who I've now been married to for 26 years. Um, So we kind of, I parked flying, we moved up to RAF Kinloss, which is where I still live, then had the children. And it wasn't until eight years later when we were living in New Zealand that I took up flying again. So we were there for a three and a half year tour. And I came back with commercial licenses and became an instructor for three years. uh, Hang on a second, just to think how inspiring that is for people listening, (laughs) that you've You've had kids and then you've gone and done the, the flying bit. That's just Yeah, that was quite hard work, actually. Mm. So, you know, basically when we were in New Zealand, I had we moved out there with a five year old, a three year old and a 20 month old. So just getting there in itself was a bit of a mission. <laughs> and so I used to basically drop them off. I didn't start flying out there until we moved in the February and it was um, a good six or seven months before I started flying, by which time. The 20 month old was then she had two days a week in um, just morning daycare. So I would literally drop her off and uh, a little place called Little Castle and Mm. basically go flying and then race back to get her. (laughs) Nothing else done. But I did manage to study for my licenses. And and gradually, as the children got older and spent more time in um, either preschool or school, then I was able to obviously give more time over to that. But yeah, I came back yeah, having studied in the evenings when they'd gone to bed and things. But we still had this really full life in New Zealand as mm. well with a lot of socialising. So I look back and I think there might, there might have been something like 30 hours in each day over there. <laughs> there must have been. I don't know how you did that. I mean, having, just having a young family on its own, but then doing your pilot's licence on top of just, oh, that's mad. You obviously like to be busy. <laughs> Well, I yeah, then got busier when we came back to the UK because by then they were all at school, but I had my ATPL exams to sit. So I would literally drop them off at school in the morning, spend half an hour chatting to the school mums, occasionally allow myself a couple of hours off for a coffee. And then I'd basically hide in the study in the house we had there with my noise cancelling headset on <laughs> to um, study for my exams. So that I, I just worked all the time that the children weren't around and and the, yeah it, and it worked out so I I then um, I got a scholarship from the Guild of Air Pilots and Air Navigators to become an instructor mm. and then did that for three years 
by which time I had basically found myself in the right place and right time to do a type rating for EasyJet. And so mm. I started so with when, them. So when would that have been, roughly? Well, actually, the first type rating was in 2009. Right. And partway through the type rating, there were two of us. There was only 12 of us on the course. And two of us were married with children. And the rest of us were, everyone was kind of a little bit older, um, sort of mm. in their 30s. But we were by far and away the more sort of, you know, children-centred family kind of people. Yes. And we were kind of starting to think, well, we need to know what's happening so that we can sort childcare plans out. And it was starting to look a little bit dodgy as to whether or not we were going to be actually ending up with jobs. So we went and saw management partway through the course and said, look, you know, for these reasons, we do kind of need to know what's going on. And they then came and spoke to us and said there weren't enough trainers at EasyJet who could get us through the line training because it was the really busy summer period. Right. So they parked it and sent us all home. Which, was, which meant a change of job for, you know, all of us had left our jobs. Some people mm. were able to go back to the jobs, but I had left my job as an instructor at Kinloss and then became the deputy chief flying instructor at Inverness. So it was kind of a good move for me. Yes. Again, a year later, they, um, we went back in the beginning of 2010 and started, the, we had to do the whole type rating once again. Mm. And that's when I started flying at Stansted. What fleet were you on? We have, well, EasyJet just have Airbus, so um, they just have the Airbus 320 family. So mm. it was mostly 319s at Stansted. There was one 320 that did Charm. So I only flew that about two or three times. Mm. And, um, but then by the time I moved to Gatwick, it was mostly 320s. Right. And I never, and that, does, that would have allowed me to fly the 321, but you have to do a conversion. Mm. And I never converted onto the 321 before I left. So it was uh, 319s were what I grew up on. And, like 156 seaters and I just love them. <laughs> yeah. So that would that's so that by my maths, that's about 2010 now. Yeah. So that was the beginning of 20, 2010 that I started at Stansted. And I'd spent five years there, four years at Luton. I transferred across to Luton. Mm. And I always moved for my commute basically because my husband's in the Air Force. We were never going to live close to Stansted. And I was driving an hour and 10 each day, each way across mm. the country to get to Stansted and driving right past Luton. So I moved there, which worked brilliantly because then I was only a 25 minute drive away nice. when we got posted yeah. and then moved to Gatwick when we moved back to um, up here to Kinloss because mm. there were so many flights a day. And of course, that was really the reason that why my career ended because this flight stopped and I could no longer commute. So, yeah. So you made it to captain. Is that right? Yeah, that's, yes, impressive. that's a bit of a journey as well. Well, that's impressive, <laughs> isn't it? Because you must be good because it takes it takes a long time. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of pilots I know and speak to, it takes them a long time to get to the uh, left-hand seat. Yeah. Well, I think it's the pinnacle of your career because you're never going to be as good again. You're never going to have as much knowledge again as you have to go through your command course. Mm. And, you know, and then, of course, it's all about, I mean, you've learnt your craft in the right-hand seat. The aircraft doesn't fly any differently from the left or the right, whether it's an Airbus or a Boeing mm. and uh, or any other make of aircraft. They fly in exactly the same way. It's just you have to remind yourself that things are on different sides. Yes. But, yeah, but, I mean, actually, my first attempt at command, I failed. And mm. I speak very openly about that mm. to people because I think we have to stop being in a culture where we just ignore failure or, or can't yeah. accept it you know you have to embrace it and own it work out the reasons why mm. not blame anyone else 
move on, pick yourself up and try again. Yeah, very positive. I mean, that's that's obviously a trait of yours, isn't it? Sort of very can do to think already. We're only hearing a little bit of your history. We're getting this idea of the way that you've been able to prioritise because having a young family is it's as full on, isn't it? And I've been through that myself and just being able to do what you've done as well. It's just mind blowing. So, you, you, so when did you become an actual captain? Well, the first attempt was in 2015 and I failed yeah. that because actually not because of lack of ability as much as the fact that I slipped three discs in the middle of the course and that was where I hadn't prioritized because I had this mindset I had a bad back and I had a mindset of I'll get my command course out of the way and then I'll sort my back out and that is absolutely the wrong way around because the stress that you're under doing a command course just Mm. tightens everything up so I actually end up sort of in in failing a sim because I was in so much pain yeah, yeah. and I didn't dare take any painkillers because I thought it might dull my senses, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that was just stupidity on my part. So actually yeah. it was another, um, it was November 2016 when I finally got command. And the lovely thing about that, apart from all the support and help I had from everybody who knew what I'd been through, was that my final line check was in an aircraft that was called Golf Echo Zulu Echo Hotel. And of course, Echo Hotel is my initials, Emma Henderson. So, and that was quite a nice, and it wasn't planned by anyone. It was just complete luck, but it was just such a lovely thing to happen. Yeah, that is. You can say, well, actually, this is my aircraft. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. you know, especially for me. Uh, So that's really, so that's a really rapid through. So then you also started to get involved in helping nervous flyers as well for the on the EasyJet. I can't remember what they call it. Fly Fearless course, I think it is. It's um, fear, Fearless Flyer course. Fearless yeah. Flyer, yeah, yeah. So how did that all happen? Well, it was just an inter- an advert that came out internally one day that I saw and I thought, oh, I'd be quite interested in that. Mm. And I was aware of the fact that the courses ran and. I knew the guy who ran it and I spoke to him and said, I'm really interested in this. What do you think? He said, I think you'd be absolutely brilliant. You should definitely apply. So I did. And I, then there was an interview process with, um, so it's run by a guy called Lawrence Layton, who you may have heard of Mm. and Mark wine. But um, so um, the interview was with Mark and Lawrence and that was, and, and you had to learn a script to be able to recite to them and sort of so they could see what your presenting skills were like. And I went into the interview and I never had any worries about the actual interview in terms of, you know, whether or not I'd be able to win them over because I've always been a people person. Yeah. I can kind of read people quite well and, you know, I, I can sell myself. Mm. So um, that side of things I wasn't worried about, but I really struggled to learn the script. And when it came to it, I kind of knew it, but I didn't really. And they picked up on that straight away and said, look, you know, we really needed you to to have nailed this. And I said, yeah, absolutely, completely agree with you, you know. But they obviously saw something because despite that rubbish part of the um, interview, (laughs) they um, they, they took me on. And that was fantastic. And so I then had to learn a massive script that, you know, it's a 40 minute presentation that you do with very little interjection from Lawrence. He's on the stage with you um, and he'll interject occasionally, but it was basically me explaining, I think there were 11 different topics we covered. And so over that 40 minutes and there's slides in the background and everything, but yeah, and it was fantastic. I I operated a flight that was a fearless flyer flight from Gatwick as well, which was part of the inside the cockpit documentary that 
so they filmed it as part of the documentary but never actually used it so it was quite nice to see the course in action yes and then um and then go on to be a presenter and I just mm. loved it you know standing mm. on a stage talking to a room full of 300 odd people what's not to love you know? yeah yeah, so. yeah and it's also it's very rewarding helping people isn't it you know, it's what... amazing you, you could actually feel the atmosphere in the room change so yeah. you know when you first go out on stage you've got this room full of people and they are all terrified and mm. you know people are in tears in the room and I mean I've sat in the back of the these sessions as well and, and watched other people do their presentations and you can see people sort of really gripping their seats and wanting yeah, to yeah. leave and stuff yeah there is this real sense of kind of just terror mm. um in the room and just you feel it change just as the session wears on yeah. So there's a lot of coping te techniques discussed as well. And then there's the obviously 40 minute presentation by an actual line pilot. There are about five or six presenters when I was doing it. And um, you could feel the mood of the room change by the end of the session, which was amazing. And people would come up to you and often the questions would be very, most of the questions honestly were about turbulence. Yes. And that's people seems to be biggest, the biggest problem for people. And actually what that did for me as well was made me realise, you know, 20% of people who fly, or sorry, 10% of people who fly are nervous flyers. So that means on an aircraft of 180 people, yeah. there's 18 to 20 of them who are just, it might just be a little bit uncomfortable with what they're doing, mm. or they might be absolutely terrified. And it gave me much more of an awareness. So during flights, if I was expecting, particularly expecting turbulence, I would talk about it at the beginning of the flight because I always did my welcome on board PAs from the front of the cabin so people could see my face. Which they love, by the way. <laughs> I think people they love. do. I think they people just... People love it. Yeah, I really think they do. And, and it puts mm. a human sort of element to this kind of, you know, mechanical thing you're doing, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And I think particularly being a woman as well, I think if people look at you and sort of say, well she's a woman she wouldn't put herself in danger and I, I don't think men would either but I just think that massively helped yeah. but if there was turbulence expected I would always say look mm. we are expecting this it's this is what it's caused by I mm. will tell you about it before it happens if it should happen unexpectedly I will put the seatbelts on blah 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 I'd explain everything yeah. and the number of people that would get off flight saying I used to be terrified of flying because of turbulence and I wasn't even in the slightest bit worried today because I knew and, and people's fear of flying is basically fear of the unknown and not being able to control their environment, which they're in. And that's yeah. it. So once yeah. you explain that and take the mm. myths away, mm. it actually makes it much more accessible to everybody. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I remember doing my um, run the courses at Virgin for 23 years. So I know exactly what you mean. Um, well, it's wonderful, isn't it, as well, mm. to see people get off the floor. I mean, the format for the EasyJet course was a two-hour conference, basically, and mm. then they'd do an hour's flight. And when people got off the flight, just they, they'd hug you and say, remember hugging when we were allowed to do that? Uh, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> but they'd hug you and they'd say, you've changed my life. Yeah. And and I think, no, you've changed your life, but thank you for transferring that on to me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I totally, I, I totally get it. Yeah, it's a, there's no better thing. I always say that. It's, yeah, wonderful. It's, 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 it gives you choices, doesn't it? That's the thing about flying. It's, of course, you can manage around it, but why would you want to, you know, when you can, yeah. when it, 
speeds things up, opens up the world to you, opens up job opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I'm preaching to the converted with you. So one of the things that often people would say on courses, and I still get questions around this now, is this perception of low-cost airlines. And I've always banged on about, you know, safety is safety is safety. But I thought maybe you could add a little bit more to that with with add a sort of a captain easyjet type vibe to it because i think people will find that really reassuring well um absolutely and you know the idea of low-cost airlines grew out of you know the southwest model in america where there was an idea that flying didn't have to be the domain of the rich and famous Mm. um, and that flying could be accessible to everybody which of course it has become but low cost means your ticket doesn't cost as much and that is because all the frills have gone it doesn't mean that safety has gone so it's certainly not a low-cost employer in terms of you know the salaries we earned at EasyJet um, or I earned at EasyJet were actually better than a lot of other airlines as captain and in terms of safety the EasyJet strapline has always been safety is our number one priority and as a captain I always understood that if I needed to take a decision because I didn't think something was safe and so I didn't want to do something that would 100% be backed up by the company. So, you know, there was never really? an issue with that. And, and I still believe that even today, you know, I, I've never really seen anything. I don't think I've seen anything at all about um, safety related issues at EasyJet. It's dealt with you know, anything that could become an issue is dealt with in training. They've gone a lot towards evidence-based training so that the, the simulator training you do now is very much more true to things that you might experience rather than sort of traditional training methods that you can kind of almost learn yeah it's just a, it's just a non-issue basically you know the, the, the biggest thing being that it's not just down to the airlines it's down to the fact that aviation is one of the most highly regulated industries in the world I've got a fly in my room there <laughs> um, you know it's so highly regulated that the civil aviation authority wouldn't allow an airline to operate if it was anywhere like being deemed to be in yeah. you know in any way unsafe there's also an air accident investigation board and they make recommendations as well and the other thing is that every every tiny incident that happens is reported on and safety reporting is encouraged within airlines because it's seen as being a good thing because we should absolutely be reporting anything that's mm. out of the normal envelope you know you know it's just safety for me yeah there, yeah there are airlines around the world that I might think twice about flying with but um certainly there's no European airline that I would ever be bothered by like this fly for goodness sake <laughs> <laughs> yeah so for those you can't see this but Emma's currently being attacked by some sort of flying wildebeest <laughs> <laughs> so sorry about that <laughs> that's all right I was I was wondering watching because you're so professional I was thinking how will she deal with the fly laying on the forehead <laughs> <laughs> if yeah, I had so a swat brilliant. I'd swat it <laughs> yeah exactly uh, the this that's really helpful because people see you know, 12 pound flights and what they don't realize is that there are some 12 pound flights but then the rest they go very quickly and then and also the, the no frills thing is that they just unpicked it. So, right, you know, with a lot of airlines and still do this, you, you'll, they'll say this is the price and that's it. The price yeah. is the price. But others will go, well, do you know what? If you're not taking the bag, 
then you don't you can save yourself a bit of money if you're not bothered where you sit you can save yourself a bit of money so all of these little things you can chip away at the price and, and that's all that's happened is it and you've really absolutely you've really also, confirmed that yeah it's like removing weight as well so i'm actually reading a really interesting book at the moment to me about the um, formation of um, go as an airline and it's just really interesting seeing all those things so um you know uh, trolleys the, the the drinks trolleys for example if you're not doing a complimentary service you don't need as many of them and they mm. weigh an enormous amount so you know they weigh 600 kilos each so you take a couple of those off and <laughs> that fly <laughs> you take a couple of those off and suddenly you, you if you sort of expand that throughout the whole fleet and, and Carolyn McCall who was CEO of EasyJet for most of my career she always used to say times it by a million you know so if you're saving a pound on each flight and then you multiply that by the number of flights that you mm. have a day across the year then that's a massive cost saving so and one thing that airlines I think are very good at understanding is that there are some things you can remove because actually nobody really needs an in-flight magazine or, or whatever it is that you're thinking of removing there are some things you can't touch and they're the safety related things. And that includes things like crew working conditions and crew working hours and things like that. Crew training, maintenance, you know, all the safety critical stuff is the stuff that the money gets spent on. And you're absolutely right. So there'll be a handful of £12 tickets on a flight. But actually on the same flight, somebody might have paid 500 quid for their ticket. Yes. So it depends very much on how early you book and, and, and how much money you've got to spend, I suppose. Yeah, and you always hope that you're not the one that sat next to them because when you compare prices, how much? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's happened to me a couple of times. So that's great. That's that's brilliant. So sort of forward a little bit. Last year, you did something phenomenal. And I, I think it'd be really interesting, although it's not directly related to fear of flying, I think it shows this, the sort of energy and passion and your sort of andoonness, if that's a word. Tell us about Project Wingman. Well, first of all, I think it actually shows the amazing passion and commitment and dedication of the six and a half thousand aircrew volunteers across the country who stepped up to help with that. And, you know, aircrew like to be needed. They like to be proactive. And I think basically back in March last year, we had an idea that was fulfilled by a need on the part of the NHS and a need on the part of air crew because suddenly mm. it, the rug had been pulled from under their feet. Yes. So, yeah, so basically in March 2020, um, I co-founded Project Wingman and that was based on my background in peer support in the airline as well. And mm. the idea was that we would provide well-being support to frontline NHS staff in hospital lounges. So this, so, sounds, this sounds a little bit now polished. Tell me then, how did that all happen? Did you wake up? Did you sort of like bang your head and then you thought, I know? <laughs> how did that happen? Well, it, what, I guess what happened is that, um, you know, as the I felt like there was a bit of a tidal wave of doom marching towards us back in sort of February, March last year. Yeah, and having was. started the year on a massive high, I think everybody anticipated, everybody in the aviation industry felt that 2020 was going to be a boom year you know everything pointed towards that it was going to be our best year yet and then as the news broke from China and started to march towards us it did feel like this sort of tidal wave almost like a shadow creeping across the land you know and I was very aware of the fact that aircrew have skills that could be used to support the NHS Absolutely. somebody else in another airline had a similar idea 
and we were introduced to each other by mutual by a colleague yeah basically had a phone call about well you know what can we do somebody else had hospital contacts I had contacts at the airline we said right well let's see if we can get air crew to be available to mm. go into lounges and and you know we'll, we'll maybe see if we can help a couple of hospitals in London we might get a couple of hundred people interested of course then the um it just it just mushroomed I mean within four days I had 700 people apply to help we just set up a gmail account called I think it was called NHS air crew response or something at the time and so I needed to bring someone in straight away to help me manage the spreadsheet we put together the my other co-founder put together some hospital manuals and had the hospital contacts so that we could we, we set up our first lounge in the Whittington in London mm. and it literally as soon as one lounge opened it was it was just a complete mushroom because other hospitals just desperately wanted the same thing and of course it was at the time when all flights were grounded so there were a lot of aircrew available but also the NHS was being smacked in the face every single day with this yeah, yeah. massive wave of Covid mm. and yeah and then and then the numbers just grew and grew and grew and gradually we grew as an organization the co-founder then left within about eight weeks of setting it up and I ended up finding myself at the at the head of the organization and have led it since then and I mean it's just been incredible what we've seen we've had 104 yes. lounges across the United Kingdom two in New York Ooh. and yeah and every airline that operates in and out of the UK whether it's UK based or not has supported it with crew mm. Mm. so you know whether it's KLM United Etihad Emirates you know lots of non-UK based airlines and of yeah. course all the big you know well, the big and the small UK airlines, because Logan mm. has been one of our biggest supporters. And of course, mm. it's a relatively small airline. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just been an amazing, amazing journey. And we've changed yeah. shape several times. And I think that's one of our secrets because we're not a traditional charity or business. So we are able to change and morph as we need to, as long as yes. our charitable mission is the same. Um, mm. It doesn't really matter how we do it. So and that's and we're in that constant state of change all the time. That's just phenomenal. I mean, it's just phenomenal. So seeing, looking on, seeing it sort of grow from a little idea, and I know some people who've volunteered for it, and it's been a, there's been no other way to put it. It's been a, literally a lifesaver for them. Yeah, I think it has. And the, and the original idea was that we would support the NHS, but it absolutely does. It turns out it has been a lifesaver for air crew because, of course, you know, after a couple of months, we thought things were opening up again. And then there was another wave and another wave and another lockdown. And a load of our lounges closed at the end of July last year. And then they reopened in September when suddenly everything went wrong again. And I think that that's something we're probably going to see as a cycle for the next couple yeah. of years as we yeah, yeah. sort of truly come out of this. Yeah. And there have been many air crew, including myself, who have needed to have something like Wingman to hang our hats on because we've yeah. all been through and are still going through in many cases, mm. a really, really difficult time. I mean, none of us could ever have imagined no. that we would have been in this position. No, it's, uh, it's been quite, quite staggering really to, to think about it. If you, if you'd said, someone had said this to you in 2019, you would have laughed, laughed your head off, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Well, 2019, we were riding the crest of a wave because certainly personally, because we had just done um, inside the cockpit, which had come out in May and, you know, that had gone viral on Twitter and things like that. So 
you know, people would comment getting on and off aircraft. It's like, oh, it's Captain Emma, you know. So personally, <laughs> for me, it was an amazing year. 2020 was shaping up to be even better. And absolutely, if somebody said, and I had just gone part time, I'd just gone down to 75% working um, mm. at the end of 2019. And I felt like I was in a really good place. You know, I got six days off after my, my four days on, and that was great. That's how I was happy for it to be. And if somebody had said to me, yeah, in sort of December, even 2019, in two years' time, you won't have a job, you'll be at home all the time all of these things will have happened I just would have laughed at them and thought they were really drunk because <laughs> there was no way that my career was going to end like that you know I was no. going to fly to, I was probably I was planning to fly probably till I was nearly 60 so I thought I had another 10 years in me and yeah and of course life turns on a pin doesn't it so well it does but on the plus side of it you've helped a ton of people and when I said you've been a lifesaver what you've set up I don't use the words lightly because I know people personally who it's made the difference for their mental health. So that's been phenomenal. And what I'm really pleased about is that you've been recognised for it. There's the, <laughs> the MBE, that must have been a shock because you strike me as quite, a, you know, you're very passionate and driving, but you've, you, there's a sort of a humility about you. So I wondered how that news landed with you. Well, it was a huge shock because, of course, you know, you never have any idea that these things are going to happen. I had mm. no idea. And you have to be nominated for them. There's quite yes. a big nomination process, which I didn't. I mean, I, you know, the people I know, I know quite a few people who have MBEs and OBEs, but that's because I'm a military wife and have been for 26 years and that people get them in the military all the time. So, you know, to that to that end, and I didn't, I just assumed, I don't know anybody outside of the military who has one. And so when, when it came in, I was sitting in a meeting and this little notification popped up in the corner of my screen and it was from... It was what caught my eye really was the address it had come from. And it was something like HM government or something, but it wasn't, you know, like a tax address or something. I was like, yeah. what's that? That's a bit yeah. interesting. Yeah. And then when I saw what it was, I just had to leave the meeting because I was so overwhelmed that mm. I burst into tears and yeah, thought, I, I, can't, I just can't believe this. And yeah. And then, and then you can't tell anyone. So, um, it's, oh, really? it's that the deal, secrecy. Is it? so yeah, I told my husband because there's no, you know, we don't do anything without telling each other mm. unless it's a su nice surprise for them. So I told my husband and you are allowed to tell anybody in your organization who is to do with any media that might happen. So I was able to tell a really good friend of mine who actually runs our media department. Yeah. And she, so uh, she basically, I told her about a week later and she said, oh, I wondered when you were going to find out about that. So <laughs> there had obviously been a little bit of a collusion within the sort of management <laughs> at um, Wingman, which was amazing. But yeah, yeah, then I did some press around that just after Christmas. And actually, then the list gets published at 10 o'clock. It's released at 10 o'clock on the 30th of December. So I was I had my children had been here for Christmas. So but well they were living at home and so I had told them and told my mum and dad on Christmas day I think I told them and they were all sworn to secrecy and I said to my husband right we need to tell the rest of the family at sort of 10 to 10 so that they find out before it was on the news but my son then facetimed and we, I was talking to him and then it got to 10 o'clock and the phone just went mad and my brother-in-law phoned up and said were you gonna tell us that you're because I wasn't <laughs> I was actually you know on the actual news a photo of me on the sort of headline news which was mm. kind of quite 
amazing and hilarious. <laughs> no, that is amazing. No, well so, done. You deserve thank it. You. That is thank just, you, you know, that that's the words are not good enough for what you've achieved there. That's just amazing. Well, I just I think it's a reflection of what everyone in the charity. I appreciate the fact that you know, there needed to be somebody who was effectively a leader, but also, you know, none of it would have been possible without the hard work and dedication of all the aircrew volunteers or indeed the will of the hospitals to give us a go, because we essentially took an unknown product to them and said, do you want to yeah. give it a try? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all the red tape went out the window. You know, COVID just got rid of all of that. And they said, yeah, absolutely. We're on our knees and yeah. Yeah, we'll allow you to help us, which was yeah it's not just for me it's for everybody no it's an amazing it's an amazing thing you did and you're doing you continue to do so i'm curious what next you know is it (laughs) is it we are we're launching a big speaking career what's what's the deal well yeah they've got a few things in the pipeline i mean i think realistically because of my age and because of the way the airline industry is it's unlikely that i'll return to the flight deck I'm very comfortable with that because I had 11 amazing years with an airline and a fantastic career before that as well. So, um, but yeah, on the back of a lot of the, a lot of the things I've been doing over the last eight months have involved things like this and speaking. Mm. And so I have been given a new enterprise allowance, which is given by the European Union to um, set up a business as a motivational speaker. So I've done that. I've called it Captain Emma Henderson MBE, which sounds a bit, yeah it's a little bit more in your face than I'm used to and yeah you kind of do so so yeah so I've set that up so there's a website for that which is at www.emma-henderson.com so I can be found there emma-henderson.com emma-henderson.com yeah brilliant Um, brilliant. so I'm gonna give that a go I've got basically three target audiences which is sort of commercial you know, organisations, educational organisations, and then social groups. And then there's sort of three areas that I can talk about, which is basically resilience, adaptability, and well-being in the workplace. And they're the three things that um, I can speak about. But, you know, some people want me to talk about wingman and being an entrepreneur and things like that. So I can, you know, tailor all those things Mm. in as well. So that's going well. And um, I'm also writing a book which I've amazingly managed to get an agent in London. So I have a writing plan and a timetable that I have to get things into him for, which is good because I need that sort of structure to, yes, you know, make sure that I don't just leave it and leave it and leave it. And I actually run a little business on the side as well that I've been doing for since about 2017, I think, called Moo Prints. So I actually paint pictures of animals and things and, I sell them on aprons and mugs and as prints and cards and things like that. So, um, what's it I'm called? Moo prints. Moo prints. Yeah. So that can be found at, well, there's, I've got a couple of websites for that actually. It can be found at either www.moomooprints.com or at emmahendersonart.com. Either of I'm those sure I've seen those. I'm, I'm, that sounds very familiar. I mean, it could be uh, wrong. Uh, you might have seen them on Not Just Crew if you're involved with that at yeah. all. Um, yes, I am, so yeah. I had a market stall on their Christmas market. Mm. last year so um yeah but um check it out and have a look and see what i do and and i'm doing more of that recently you know, i've um, taken on some commissions and i'm i'm doing a commission of a horse at the moment so you know for someone so that's quite good and it just keeps things ticking over and i'm just going to see how it goes i'd like to get myself to a position in the next couple of years where i don't need to earn a lot of money but it would be good i'd need to earn enough Yes. And, you know, the rock star wages are great, but they come with a rock star lifestyle that's not sustainable. And I now have a much more sustainable, much healthier life. Yeah. And I just need to earn enough so that in a couple of years time when my husband 
might be leaving the air force we can still afford our house so <laughs> yeah, which is a, this is a nice bonus yeah yeah emma that's been awesome i've got one thing to ask of you which i ask everybody bringing it back round to the fear of flying if you had one sort of message or tip or anything that you would give to anybody with a fear of flying listen to this podcast what what might that be I think what I'd say is just remember that the people at the front of the aircraft who do this every day for their jobs are real people with real families and people that love them as well. So they're never going to put themselves in a position, let alone you in a position where there's anything bad going to happen. And that's it. Captain Emma, that was just I really love that. that. The time has just literally gone like that for me. I hope it has for you. But that was that was fascinating. Thank you very much. Good luck with this speaking career and all your other Thank little you. ventures. Keep doing what you're doing. It's an amazing thing. I'm really pleased that you've been recognised for it and hope that continues that way. And, and thank you again. It's been well, brilliant. Well, thank you. It's so lovely chatting to you. And I'm sorry it's taken us so long to actually find a mutually right. suitable date. So uh, lovely to speak to you.